Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. Welcome to the panel discussion, Modern Government, Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Chad Jones, the Federal Supply Chain and Operations Leader for KPMG Federal Advisory Services, Karen Fenstermacher, Executive for Strategic Initiatives for the Naval Supply Systems Command, Dan LZ, the Deputy Commander of the Marine Force Storage Command, and Stephen Gray, the Director of the 448th Supply Chain Management Wing at the Air Force Sustainment Center. Everyone, welcome to the discussion. Let me set just a little context for our conversation today. This discussion is going to be focused on supply chain management, not the supply chain management many folks hear about today that tends to focus on where your hardware or your software is made. This is the original supply chain, moving people and stuff from one place to another in a timely and efficient manner. Really, that's been the goal since people started moving from point A to point B. Get their stuff, make it sure it's there. But experts say it wasn't really until the 1980s that the technology revolution started to have a real impact on moving people and things. Today, supply chain is what we call in a second transformational stage. Agencies must focus on improving customer engagement by making assets more visible across multiple systems and data sets. Visibility can be something as simple as a transportation information to improve the routes trucks drive, or it can be better aligned organization through digital feedback. The second part of this transformation is of course speed, speed processing requests and, and speed moving stuff again from point A to point B. This panel will, will address the opportunities and challenges that are part of today's modern supply chain. In the end though, the only goal is getting warfighters the products and services they need as quickly and efficiently as possible. So once again, my guests today are Chad Jones, the Federal Supply Chain and Operations Leader for KPMG Federal Advisory Services, Karen Fenstenmacher, an Executive for Strategic Initiatives for the Naval Supply Systems Command, Dan LZ, the Deputy Commander for the Marine Force Storage Command, and Stephen Gray, the Director of the 448th Supply Chain Management Wing at the Air Force Sustainment Center. Karen, I'm going to turn to you and ask about the Naval Supply Systems Command. You have a supply chain management that, like everybody in, in, on this panel, is, is complicated, is challenging, but so important. So let's just start at the beginning, Karen. How does the Naval Supply Systems Command look at your current uh, strategy and approach to getting the warfighters the, the products and services they need? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for the for the question and, and certainly look forward to the dialogue. And just to set context, uh, Naval Supply Systems Command is responsible for all of the spares and repair parts for both the maritime and aviation fleet. Uh, we do about seven and a half billion dollars in business a year. We've got about a thirty seven billion dollar inventory. So to your point, a very complex ecosystem. The North Star clearly and the focus for us every every day, whether on the military or civilian side, is ensuring that that those who uh, that we are doing everything that we can to protect those who protect us. And so that is first and, and foremost. And we do that. You know, we, we obviously have a number of lines of operation, you know, everything from the procurement of the materials that I just described to the inventory management, the transportation, et cetera. And what we have done over the last couple of years, particularly, is focus and widen the aperture in ensuring that we have the necessary end-to-end -end visibility of the entire supply chain uh, across all of our mission partners. Um, so oftentimes, as you talked about you know, the, the various transformations over time, historically, we kept a very stovepipe view um, of what was happening in the health of the supply chain. And as I said, over the last couple of years, we really expanded that aperture to ensure that all of the mission partners and their data and their information, uh, their analytics is available to ensure that we're providing what's necessary when it's needed um, to those at the pointy end of the spear. And so the mission partners, including the Hardware Systems Command from a Navy perspective, NAVAIR, the NAVC from both an aviation and maritime, focus, um, as well as uh, the D Defense Logistics Agency, obviously, um, the DCMA to understand what's happening uh, there in the contractor facilities, particularly, and then obviously the partnership with industry itself has become much more prevalent. And so we take that wider view um, as our approach to supply chain management um, so that we have all of the various aspects um, and all of that necessary visibility 
at our fingertips to ensure that where there's handoffs, where there may be gaps and seams, we're getting after that in a much more proactive manner than we did in the past. Again, by not operating in that vacuum, but looking more holistically across the end-to-end -end supply chain and all of those organizations and agencies that have relevancy up to the success and health of the overall supply chain. Karen, we're gonna get into the data side, we're gonna get into the visibility side in a minute, but let me just take a half a step back and ask, did, did the Navy, Navy Supply Systems Command always have a visibility and this is better visibility? Or you mentioned stovepipes. So was it a lot of, hey, I got to call the person I know and if they leave, I, then I don't got to know the new person and they may not tell me everything. Was it that game of telephone? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a little bit of the game of telephone. We always had our own systems and, and obviously visibility um, into our piece, right? But, but what we've recognized and realized and frankly, particularly over the last year and a half with COVID is the interconnectivity um, and the importance of recognizing that interconnectivity uh, and that, you know, it, a, across such complicated ecosystems, you can have gaps and seams created in those, those basic handoffs, right? But for creating that end-to-end -end visibility, you're, you're minimizing and more readily able to mitigate um, the gaps and seams. So, you know, I would say we've really matured frankly, the relationships across the supply chain, um, more so than even taking a technological or, or digital type approach. It's, it's really improving and maturing the relationships uh, over the last couple of years that I think has, has resulted in improved supply chain performance, but obviously uh, enabled us to more readily respond to the challenges that COVID presented, particularly over the last year and a half. And let's continue the conversation about the Department of Navy, if you will, from the Marines perspective. You also have probably very similar challenges as Karen described. How is your strategy looking today and how has it evolved? So, so we've, we're a little bit smaller, but you know, we exist uh, only to sustain the fleet marine forces as, as we're moving forward. Uh, that is why we, so when you ask about who, how did we focus on the, uh, the war fighters, that's why we exist. And so we've got essentially an $8 billion inventory uh, that uh, comprise about 86 million, million items, excuse me. And, and what we've done in the last three years, we have, made sure we put that in a property system of record that the rest of the Marine Corps can see, view, and understand. So, so that ability, just that fact alone, the Marine Corps can now make decisions knowing what's in their inventory. Uh, and, and we've been working to further improve that uh, as, as we go forward. Our, our strategy is to make sure it's very easy to account for this stuff and audit this stuff. We, we're going through audits right now. Uh, so we're very proud that we've been able to essentially digitize and give, give the institution visibility as, as to what does the Marine Corps have, what do we own, and what do we need as we go into the future with our force design and as the Marine Corps changes. Dan, I got to ask the funny question. Do you find anything you own that you were surprised by? Any uh, World War II, World War I? We still have meals ready to eat from 1918. Uh, I just yeah. had to ask it. You know, we, yeah, very fair question. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, about uh, four years ago, uh, when we were when we were beginning this effort, and we actually stood up the command uh, uh, roughly three years ago. Uh, we did have a lot of stuff from previous generations. Uh, and that, that's more, more because the logistics command was focused on Afghanistan and Iraq, and they were rightly focused on that, on getting uh, sustainment stocks to the uh, warfighter. And also our property systems of record uh, were not as modern as, as they are now. Now we are in uh, Global Command and Support System Marine Corps, GCSS Marine Corps, 
we use that system and we also use a, a bit of defense property and accountability system. But the great thing is we've got visibility now of all this. And, and, but we have been on a divestment effort uh, over the last uh, three years. We've divested about $7 billion of obsolete stocks as we uh, get ready for audit, audit uh, as we're moving forward over here. There's, uh, there's so much I want to ask about what, a, what obsolete stocks look like, but I don't want to take us down a, a rabbit hole there. <laughs> so let me, let me bring in Steve from the Air Force. Uh, Steve, same question to you. Help us understand a little bit more about how the Air Force is uh, addressing supply chain today and where'd you come from and where you're going. So the Air Force, um, like the Navy and the Army and the Marines, um, has a, a very large budget and, and responsibility and configuration control of a lot of inventory. Uh, but I would, I would argue to you that over the past 10, 15 years, we have worked very hard to reduce all that um, and try to lighten our footprint become a lot more leaner from an from a investment perspective, how much inventory we're actually going to carry. And it kind of relates back to some of your points early on about what, you know, what's excess, what's old, what don't we need? But the, the management approach is, is different for the Air Force. We centrally manage and control all inventory through the 448. So my bases, um, we dictate essentially um, to them what stock they're going to have. And then we manage the processes to make sure that material is available to them. And by centrally managing that, we're able to optimize the inventory and reduce it um, to, I don't want to say bare minimum, but minimum amounts of, that are needed for, to support the enterprise. And we take an enterprise approach in all activities that we do. Um, by doing that, and, and again, it was a journey, 15, 20 some odd years, we've been working a piece at a time to conquer the challenges to get to that. But by centralizing and optimizing our inventory, we're able to carry less, uh, which frees up dollars for the Air Force to go invest and do other things. Uh, we started in the 90s with um, central leveling for stock levels and, and computing a, a, a need, if you will, a requirement for our bases and our air logistics complex where we do uh, the overhaul of aircraft and engines. They're our three largest customers, by the way, so they're included in all that. Uh, we took steps to work with our industrial base to try to minimize the lead times um, and, and become more resilient and responsive. Um, and then we've invested and transportation to the point that we we can move items quickly. Uh, within the United States, we can move any part within three days or less. Overseas, it's you know somewhat dependent on the country we're going to and some of the infrastructure out there, but is equally quick given the geographic problems that we run into. So, so that served us very well. What we're finding now uh, and what we're trying to do going forward is take advantage of more of the advanced predictive analytics that are available to us, bring that skill set into the supply chain and further refine our inventory practices so we can lean that out even further. Uh, our goal is to, is to have the right inventory at the right place at the right time and not carry a bunch of excess stuff that uh, that would make us resemble kind of the Cold War Air Force where we were very big and heavy and we had a lot of inventory uh, to offset some of the inefficiencies in the process. We've worked very hard to make the processes efficient. I'd, I'd like, I'd like to double down a little bit on what Steve, uh, Steve said. I think it's super important, the data analytics. Now that we've got this, all this, all of our equipment, and we've got it in in a data repository that the, that the whole Marine Corps can see. We'll be able to, in the in the future, not waste a lot of money. I, uh, you ask a little bit about, hey, all the old equipment we had. When we when we've gone through divesting over the last few years. I looked at that as opportunity costs that the Marine Corps bought more because they didn't know what they had. And, and now our ability is everybody can see what we've got and then they can make a decision. So we're not buying so much uh, th these iron mountains. We have, we have really reduced our footprint. When uh, in, over the last four years, we were in about 10 full warehouses. Well, we've divested and we're going to, in about six months, we'll be down to one warehouse. And that, 
that represents a real cost savings to the Marine Corps in terms of manpower to manage that stuff, but also they have assured visibility of what we've got. So if they're coming out with a new sys weapon system they, and they need support equipment for that, they've got a short, they don't have to go out and buy it because they've got assured visibility that we've got it, we know what condition it's in, and we know its capabilities. Actually, Dan, you you were jumping forward a little bit, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about data and the analytics okay. piece, and we'll get there in a second. No, it's good, but I think I think the, the follow up I was gonna ask Steve, and, and uh, actually I'm gonna um, is is and you you hit upon the head is the just in time piece. Uh, I think there was a big move over the last again five or so years to get away from these big warehouses and and the just in time piece. So as uh, as uh, Steve said, three days in the CONUS overseas, depending, but but equally as quick. I'm sure you and Karen also have the same uh, goals to get things to who the, the, the end of the spear as quickly as possible. Uh, let me bring in Chad from KPMG. Chad, just initially react to what you heard from, from Dan and Karen and Steve so far, and then what other trends, how does that meet up with the trends you're seeing across government? Yeah, thanks, Jason. I, I think a couple of key themes came out of all three conversations. One is, as you talked about, the, the second transformation of the supply chain. As Ms. Fenstermarker you know, mentioned, you know, this is no longer about being a cost center, no longer about just storing gear and maintaining and maximizing uh, fully within your warehouse. It's being more responsive to your customer and making sure that your mission capable rate and mission readiness is aligned accordingly. So that speed and throughput to the warfighter, as Mr. Gray said a few minutes ago, is absolutely uh, an imperative. Uh, as Mr. Elsey was talking about that a second ago, making sure that you can react to that demand signal and get it downrange to a warfighter in the least amount of time possible and more efficient is key. I think secondly was the idea behind optimization. So the, the, the way to optimize that process is to make sure, or the processes, excuse me, to make sure that the, the readiness factor is completely optimized from the point of view of being able to uh, predict almost when you're going to need certain items, whether it's based off a of certain seasonality or certain trend movements or training uh, exercises and so on, understanding that and baking that into the overall process. And then finally, Jason, I'd like to add one other note that um, was talked about. When you start thinking about all the systems, um, we don't want to go in and necessarily start um, you know, descaling uh, ERP, SAP systems and so forth. We want to be able to link and align all of these systems together and pull data out of them to make them talk to each other. So we have the OEM system with the warehouse system, with their transportation logistics system, and also the fulfillment side of that equation. So being able to use a methodology to pull this information and collate it together so that you have that ability to always see from a, um, as a visibility point of view, where is, as Mr. Elsie said, where's my gear, uh, what condition it's in, and when am I going to get it? So those are three key themes I think all three uh, executives talked about and, and definitely are, are key to, uh, I think someone said, tip of the spear for supply chain. All right, there's plenty more to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to jump into that discussion about data analytics, understanding what you have, where it is, and how to get it there. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, visit kpmg.com US federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Chad Jones, the Federal Supply Chain and Operations Leader for KPMG Federal Advisory Services, Karen Fenstenmacher, an Executive for Strategic Initiatives for the Naval Supply Systems Command, Dan LZ, the Deputy Commander of the Marine Force Storage Command, and Stephen Gray, the Director of the 448th Supply Chain Management Wing at the Air Force Sustainment Center. Before break, we had just started to get into the discussion about data and analytics. And I think we're gonna spend a lot of time here because this is such a key piece to managing the modern supply chain. Steve, let me start with you from the Air Force's perspective. Uh, you were talking about something that was just fascinating around in, over the last 10 or 15 years, you worked hard to really lighten your footprint, become more leaner, uh, make, make good investments. All that is gonna be driven by data. So help me understand how the Air Force is using data 
to really be more effective, efficient when you talk about supply chain management? Sure. The, the Air Force approach is really to try to use as much of the data that we have and apply the best science and mathematics that we can pull in um, to, to help kind of guide our decisions from, from a number of perspectives, from an inventory perspective, from a maintenance perspective, um, and then just part reliability perspective. How long are these things going to last? How can we begin to detect and see when things are starting to tail off? That, that is different than what we predicted in the initial engineering efforts uh, and design efforts up front. So let me, let me talk about the three of those real quick, give you some examples. Uh, we use marginal analysis, which does trade-offs between inventory based on the contribution of the item to the customer. How many back orders are we going to see or how many demands are we going to see for that item and the cost? And that's where the optimization comes in. Um, our analytics is we like term, use term readiness base. We start with a goal that we're trying to achieve to support a platform, be it a fleet of aircraft or a maintenance organization or an engine overhaul facility. And then we build a shopping list of inventory based on the contribution of the item with, with acknowledgement of and consideration to the cost of the item. And then we make cost trade-offs based on the, the actual importance of the items. And that's how we get to that optimization piece. It helps us reduce our inventory and our investment in very high cost, low demand items and puts more onus on the things our customers use more frequently. Uh, we have also built in algorithms that help us predict the low demand items um, and be better at sensing when they're going to be needed so that we can kind of postpone that that investment until the very last point and then spend the high dollars um, as close to the point of need as possible. So it, it kind of gives you an idea how the, the the importance of the data and the analytics will help us, you know, kind of guide our decisions. On the maintenance side, even at base level, we're employing a program called condition-based maintenance, uh, which is looking at the off equipment, base level, if you will, retail level uh, maintenance activities and helping us understand when a part is gonna fail on an aircraft. And through some work that we did with Delta Airlines, we are trying to implement a process to where we remove the items before they fail um, and have the, uh, the new item readily available to go on the aircraft so that we can decide when to do the maintenance on the aircraft. We don't let the aircraft make that choice any longer. We wanna go ahead and, and intervene in the process, get the part out before we lose the aircraft or the aircraft fails because of a, of a bad part. Likewise, in the maintenance facilities at the depots, our air logistics complex, our heavy industrial sites where we rebuild aircraft and engines uh, pretty much from scratch, take them all the way down, build them all the way back up. We're trying to use advanced data analytics and predictive analytics to see and sense parts that are that we're discovering through the maintenance process that hadn't been ordered in the past at all. Uh, the age of our aircraft is driving a lot of this. We have a lot of older aircraft that were built many, many years ago, and we're discovering through the re remanufacture, refurbishment of these aircraft and engines that they're needing parts that they hadn't used in 20, 30 years. So we're trying to, to use advanced machine learning capabilities, if you will, and predictive analytics to sense and observe the patterns that we're seeing out of those industrial sites and help us help inform us on what inventory decisions to make going forward. I'll see if you have follow-up questions on that. There's plenty there. One of the things that, that I just want to touch upon real quick is this idea of using the technology and we'll go down that path too later on in our discussion to understand when the aircraft needs to be fixed versus the aircraft telling you when it needs to be fixed right. is was, is that a major if you will culture change i know we hate that word we hear it all the time did, did the folks mechanics and leadership have to get their head around that wait a minute we're going to replace this even though it still potentially works even though the data tells us after so many miles so many hours of flight this is going to fail it is a bit of a culture change. We, our old model, I could sum it up this way, it was fly to fail. We'd fly the aircraft until it broke and we go after it. Now we're trying to intervene in the process um, and replace parts before they fail. But the, the benefit of it is um, we get to, to decide when that's going to be, right? At a point in time when it's convenient for the maintenance guys and for the supply chain, quite frankly. Um, so, so we're looking out far enough to where we give the basis flexibility 
um, and and then also give the supply chain the time to make sure the parts are there. All those things kind of come together. And what I think people are beginning to see from this program is that convenience of deciding when we're going to affect the repair on the aircraft by far outweighs the cultural shock and, and, and behavioral change that we have to drive through. Now, it's, again, it's not every aircraft, and certainly, you know, the, the aircraft gets a vote. Sometimes they, they fail before we, we anticipated it. But what we're doing with that is we're trying to gather all that data, feed it into our predictive models, and improve the prediction. So we believe the longer we go with this, the more experience we have, the more data we gather, that we will sharpen the predictions and get ahead of that curve so that we are pretty much knowing when the aircraft's going to fail. And then it's up to us to go ahead and make the change. Hey, hey, Jason, this is Chad. If you don't mind just adding a bit to what Mr. Gray is saying. Um, absolutely. I think a couple of key things, as Ms. Vincent Marcher said a few minutes ago, the idea of digitizing the data now, having the data in a way that you can do something with it is critical. It hasn't been that long ago that, that a lot of this data was still in an unusable format. Uh, so that has just created the power and capability to do the machine learning and predictive analytics that Mr. Gray just spoke of. I think secondly, utilizing these more powerful models, uh, machine learning, computer vision, computing at the edge and so forth has allowed less of kind of the rearview mirror point of view, looking at historical data and getting into more of the predictive side or condition-based maintenance side um, that, that Mr. Gray spoke of. It's allowing us to be able to now predict or at least a point to when certain activities would take place and how we plan around that. Think of the second and tertiary type of activities allowed to or needed to support those activities. And then I think finally, it's, as he said, the cultural side of this, um, we have to take into account all the way down to the material handlers and the supply techs and the mechanics and, and the depot operations and so forth, giving them the tablets and the handhelds and, and the voice to text type of headsets and things to be able to ascertain or at least access this data effectively. It doesn't no good if Mr. Gray is the only one that has this data. So the mechanics at the line being able to see this and being able to understand when this is gonna take place. So uh, very, very critical part of this, but uh, just kudos to the Air Force for what they're doing there. Uh, Karen Fenstermacher here. I, I'll just chime in with a couple of thoughts as I was listening to the conversation. From, from our perspective, uh, we are not lacking for data. Um, our challenge over the, over the years has been how do you pull together all of that data into useful information for the decision maker. And so we have a couple of things that are underway now that I, that I think are exciting. And I'll take a little bit of a different view. I'm, I'm certainly with you in the predictive analytics and some of the things um, that are, you know, kind of very supply chain, where's my inventory, what's the state of my inventory? But I'll, I'll turn the conversation a little bit. We are a working capital fund organization. And so with that financing schema, it's important for us to understand um, where there may be risk, where there may be gaps, um, so that we can, we can better see you know, which platforms may be creating a, a drag on the system from a financial perspective, uh, where we may uh, be seeing you know, it, for lack of a better term, uh, the, the cash cow uh, platforms. And then through analytics, um, we're employing what we call a control tower um, using that uh, kind of machine learning thought process um, to understand where there's risks, where do we wanna take risk? What are those trade spaces that are available to us um, from a financial perspective? And so we've found that to be tremendously helpful we're getting off uh, on the control tower as a, as a key piece of our uh, tool set, if you will, uh, kind of going platform by platform. Um, the other piece that we've just recently embarked on is the, is the sales and operations framework um, to, to really get after and, and kind of dig a little bit deeper into the impacts of our supply chain systems. Again, back on that, on that financial uh, piece of, of what it is we're responsible for. And, you know, we're just beginning to start down that path, but, uh, you know, that has been tremendously illuminating, if you will, particularly in the environment that we work in, which is uh, extensive long lead items. And so again, back to being able to 
pull this data together in information for decision makers to understand what that trade space is and what those impacts are going to be on the financials. Uh, and that's become very important and tremendously useful as we've gone to the budget table over the last couple of fiscal years, you know, where you've got this um, you know, empirical data, if you will, on, on how the system is performing writ large and you know, are then able to more effectively um, advocate for, for funding in certain areas. Um, and, and using that information. So again, the control tower and this movement toward the sales and operations, I think is, is really going to take us um, to a whole new level, uh, as I said, particularly at the, at the budget table, but obviously in managing and monitoring the health of the supply chain writ large. Karen, if I could just jump in real quick to, to a quick follow-up. First, the, the, the control towers, we hear about this in the technology world, the IT control towers. I imagine it's the same concept. Can you just give us a little sense of, of how you guys are looking at control tower? Yeah, absolutely. We're, and as I said, we're, we're approaching it using kind of a platform, platform by platform approach um, in pulling together, okay, what's the, you know, for this particular platform, you know, what's the, what's the product value? What's the velocity of that, of the, you know, of that particular end-to-end -end supply chain? Where is the risk and illuminating the risk? Where are the efficiencies, you know, and then what's the cost? Um, and, you know, kind of how are we managing this process? And we're taking that framework and continuing to mature it and expand it across multiple platforms here over the next couple of years. And again, it's, it's really pulling together, you know, not just the, the data that we have, but combining that with the information that uh, the hardware systems commands has, you know, from an acquisition perspective, pulling in all of that information so that we're better prepared um, in the sustainment kind of aftermarket business to support those critical platforms. And so the control tower really is, you know, back to my point in the earlier segment, um, helping us widen that aperture and look more holistically across acquisition, sustainment, and supply. Yeah, this is Steve. Um, I want to add a comment to what Karen's saying. It's something that we've been talking about extensively and trying to kind of do a existential shift in the in the Air Force from managing inventory to managing supply chains. Right, and, and it, what we found over the last years, you can be as as optimal and great and data centric on what you need, and trying to drive that down. If you don't have the supply chain behind you, the industrial base, the second and third tier suppliers, you don't have your organic stuff coordinated, you don't have the engineering right, it doesn't help. It's all got to come together. Um, and our our team has been focusing heavily on the things exactly as Karen's describing. How do you manage the supply chain and shift your thinking from managing inventory pieces and parts to managing all those organizations and the integration points between them? Yeah, and I'll parlay just a little bit off of that too. So as we're as we're getting our data systems and we're making sure we know what we have, where it's at, what condition it's in, and and trying to optimize our uh, material stocks, we're really focused on how how do we push this forward now? How do we how do we sustain the fleet marine forces alongside of them instead of at our location that we currently have? How can we get out? to be right next to the Marine Expeditionary Forces. And so we're looking at that as we're going forward, as, as the Marine Corps uh, looks to uh, tweak its strategy a bit on, on more forward deployment and looking at the current threats, we're, we're you know, be, becoming brilliant in the basics, focus on that, and then trying to push that capability and that capacity forward. The other piece of this discussion, because I think we could talk about data and analytics all day, but the other piece of the discussion that I just want to touch on briefly, and maybe Chad, you could jump in here on this question, is about tracking supplies, condition, accountability, audibility, all those pieces and parts come into that. So Chad, maybe just real briefly before another break, to, let's get us going on that topic. 
Yeah, thanks, Jason. I think it's absolutely critical from that aspect of knowing, as Mr. Elsie said earlier, what, you know, where's my supply, what condition is it, and how quick can I get my hands on it? So understanding that in a way that can be transferred uh, globally to, as he said, one MEF, two MEF, three MEF, or across the Air Force, or even NAV subtype command, as Ms. Finstermacher said, is critical. So the first thing is being able to apply a condition code or a readiness code to a piece of equipment and making sure that that is uh, globally recognize where the equipment is and, and absolutely all the supporting equipment that goes along with it. So it's not just a piece of rolling stock. It's all the equipment that supports that rolling stock. It's just not a water filtration system, but it's the other 180 items that go along with it. So ensuring that that visibility is there and capable for that process. I think secondly is flipping the switch as uh, Mr. Gray said earlier and making sure and thinking about this in the form of the actual customer, the warfighter. What do they need? What's in their um, in their demand signal to make sure this is available? And then understanding quickly how I can get that through the supply chain, whether it's warehouse or inventory or back through a vendor uh, managed inventory or, or some other fashion uh, mechanism in, in, in that uh, supply chain. I think finally, Jason, there's one last piece of this that is hypercritical, and that's back to Mr. Gray's comment around data and not to get us tangled up in that process again, because it's extremely important. But the data, the visibility, all the way down to the warehouseman uh, or, or uh, warehouse person uh, in this process and making sure they have the insight into where and what and how and what condition that part is in. It doesn't do any good to do you know, the clipboard pen and paper process. I have to have some type of digital interaction between systems to make sure you can readily assess and answer those questions uh, in a timely manner. All right. Chad, I'm sure there's more to dig out from that, but first let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, visit kpmg.com US federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Chad Jones, the Federal Supply Chain and Operations Leader for KPMG Federal Advisory Services, Karen Fensenmacher, an Executive for Strategic Initiatives for the Naval Supply Systems Command, Dan Elzey, the Deputy Commander for the Marine Force Storage Command, and Stephen Gray, the Director of the 448th Supply Chain Management Wing at the Air Force Sustainment Center. We're talking a lot about data analytics platforms last segment. This will lead us perfectly into the discussion about cloud, cloud computing and other kind of underlying technologies. Dan, let me start with you. I know there's been a big push across DOD for things like 5G that's gonna really make a big difference for the supply chain. What's the Marine Force Storage Command looking at from a technology perspective, how you're using cloud and other technologies? Yeah, so, so we've been fortunate enough to, uh, to be a pilot site for the DOD's uh, 5G initiative, 5G and beyond initiative uh, that's taking place right now. And what we're looking towards is how do we interface with our, with our uh, data systems? And we're real excited about the fact that, that not only do we believe that most people are tech savvy, especially the younger generation, they're, they're, they're tech savvy, but they're also tech equipped. They're walking around with $2,000 computers in their pocket that talk to other computers. So we're going to try to exploit that capability, uh, very similar to what uh, the major uh, like Walmarts do and how they're exploiting it. And we're looking to them. We're saying, yeah, we can do that, too. So we can flatten our supply chain. We can flatten our interface and we can get good data going in. Is, is is always a cr critical element. You know, we, we always talk about data and it's, you know, and it used to be, they would talk about garbage in, garbage out. So it's getting that that good pure data in with with very little human interface. And so we're, we're exploiting and we're looking to use the uh, mobile devices, the, the, the cell phones, the smartphones, the tablets, uh, to do our data input so that we we continue to have assured data as we go forward and also speed. 
it, that, that enables us uh, to operate much quicker in our receipt, store, and issue functions. We're able to use the speed. So it's, it's very exciting times for us with, within the Marine Corps and Marine Corps Storage Command, Marine Corps Logistics Command. Building, exploiting the capabilities, exploiting the technology, and then forward positioning our supplies, our people, our capabilities with the Fleet Marine Forces. So Dan, real quick follow-up before someone else jumps in, I just wanted to ask, so the 5G uh, pilots that you guys are doing, I know there's one out in, I think, 29 Palms, if I get that right? Albany, Georgia. Yeah. Is that the one, is that yours, or do you have, is this or yours? That's ours. Yours? Okay. The, the, the one in Albany, Georgia is ours, and uh, we are prepping for it. Chad can talk about it uh, a little bit more, but it's a, uh, it's, it's about an $85 million investment, a uh, three-year program, and it's... Uh, and it's and we're using and, and what we're doing right now is we're exploring what is industry doing and what can we bring in and test. So, for example, we do have today out on our floors, we've got little robots that will run around and take our inventory. We're looking at trying to mark all of our inventory properly. We have created a, a optical character recognition tool uh, that that actually reads serial numbers on weapons because we have. Uh, the Marine Corps' largest uh, arms room, essentially, secure warehouse. And so how do we actually uh, use machine learning and technology to give us uh, absolute accuracy and auditability on those serial numbers? We're also working with uh, RFID tags. How do we, how do we uh, exploit that? We, and we've done a lot of... Uh, Great innovative, we, we've reduced our forklifts in one warehouse down to 75% because we're using uh, better processes and better automation. Uh, we've used passive RFIDs and we reduce our inventory times by, by about 99% where we can actually drive around and pick up our inventories uh, using the, the technology. And we wanna further further advance that and further downsize that. and and get the technology that I think people, I think our workforce is going to be very comfortable with it. They're comfortable using smartphones and we we're make, working to make the application so that it's, it's, it's as easy as using zoom on a, uh, on, on an interview. Excellent. And if I could, I'll just chime in. We have also a pilot ongoing in San Diego. Uh, yes. actually, the warehouses in Coronado and, and to the points that were made, you know, it's it's beyond the uh, you know inventory tracking, um, you know, sort of the the general warehouse control systems that we've talked about for years. Um, in this particular site, uh, you know, to some of the points that were mentioned, where uh, piloting autonomous uh, autonomous mobile uh, robots, um, we've got environmental monitoring going on. Um, one of the in, one of the interesting things, and this segues back to as we closed the last segment and mentioned audit, um, we've instituted tamper alerts, and so with all of this kind of technology coming together, we've dramatically improved the internal controls inside the warehouse, um, which is obviously something that's a cornerstone of our ability to uh, be effective in this in this financial statement audit. Uh, journey that we've been on for the last many years. Um, the measures that we've put in place, um, you know, to increase inventory accuracy by about 10%, uh, reduce the average processing times to less, less than 30 minutes. And then, as I said, through accountability, process improvements, uh, more effective internal controls, uh, achieve the, the necessary clean audit opinion here. So uh, this, is, this is tremendously exciting. And, and proving it out in, in Coronado and, and hopefully being able to extrapolate that and, and expand on it to our other key warehouses uh, around the globe is uh, you know, obviously where we're hoping to go. Hey, Jason, if you don't mind adding to what Ms. Finstermacher and Mr. Elsie said is that I think there's a common theme that came out of both of those and that is the metrics they talked about. And these metrics are all aligned to the, to the actual warfighter. If you think about kind of the thread through both of them, it's a speed in which you go from dock to stock and stock back to dock. It's the auditability so that when there's a demand signal knowing where that's at, 
and, and Mr. Elsie spoke of the commercial applications that we, you know, we always recognize uh, that are that are kind of premier. Bringing that ability into the supply chain of the Navy and Marine Corps is, is hypercritical. And 5G is playing such a great part of that. It's allowing, as Mr. Gray said a few minutes ago, to take that data and start to use things like AMR, autonomous mobile robots and uh, auto-guided vehicles to minimize the amount of forklift traffic and, and personnel uh, involved in this equation. And instead of them doing the, um, as Mr. Elsie said, the clipboard, pen and paper, they're no, now using more of the interface with the equipment and the machine. So all of this creates such a, a capability. Uh, and it's not about reducing, in my opinion, it's not about reducing headcount, it's about creating capacity. It's about creating the ability to do work. It's about creating the capability to do more with less uh, from the point of view of less manpower and applying that manpower and other factors within this equation. So just, just a great story in both cases. Karen, I just want to go back to something you said real quick. You mentioned the pilot in San Diego. Is this a pilot very similar to what Dan described, 5G using technology, or is it a different type of pilot? No, no, it's the same It's the same thing. The, the DOD 5G effort has a, several pilots ongoing uh, around, the, around the country, and, and we were fortunate enough to have one of our warehouses selected to be included. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the clarification. I wasn't sure if you're building on what Dan was saying or saying we have our own, so that's helpful. Uh, Steve, jump in here on, on, on the question that's come up several times during our discussion, which is the people side of this, because I think it's very important not to overlook the importance of getting the right people, make sure they're trained, make sure they can use not just the technology, but manage the inventory in such a way. How's the Air Force starting to address that, both from a training standpoint and who you hire or bring on? Absolutely critical, Jason. The um, what we don't want to have happen is a huge investment and in, uh, process time built around new technology, and then have our workforce ill prepared to use it or just not using it. Right? Culturally, um, some people are still still resist um, the idea of using some of this advanced technology. So we started early in the process of training, uh, well in advance of when we're gonna turn on a capability and begin training and introducing new technologies and capabilities to people. We're, uh, we're in the middle of standing up a new ERP system for uh, developing budget requirement and inventory management. We invested a year upfront to begin training the workforce before we turned it on. I can't think of any other time in at least my history where we, we spent that much time upfront training um, before we actually started a program. The other piece of it though is our hiring practices and the kind of things that we're looking for as we bring new employees on. Uh, so we're, we're trying to change that criteria as well um, and use that as a way to reach out to people that are more tech savvy, um, people that are more comfortable with, with technology, or may have a background in some of that, that we could bring them in and use their experiences to help kind of advance the, the programs as opposed to just, you know, using the, the programs. So to me, it's a, there are two parts to it. One is the training and awareness and education to get your people ready. And then the other part is to find individuals that are comfortable with it and then bring them in so that you slowly begin to change the, the culture in, within the organization from one that's a little bit resistant and unsure, but the one that expects that when they come to work every day. Chad, maybe comment on the on the training piece and the, and the hiring piece, because KPMG is probably in a very similar place as the Air Force, as the Marines, as the Navy, because there are maybe maybe this is maybe a little cynical of myself, but not a lot of people say I want to grow up and work in supply chain. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I, I, I imagine you're correct. It's 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 probably that that uh, that synergy there also. Um, I think, as Mr. Gray said, there's a critical component of this is that, um, as he mentioned, the position descriptions has to change also. It's what the, um, the Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Air Force is actually uh, resourcing for. So it's not the same old position descriptions that we're used to, that, that, that ability, that tech ability and capability, a little bit of the analytics that have to be you know, fully engrossed in being able to program, but being able to recognize and handle some of this equipment. And I think secondly, as Mr. Elsie mentioned a few minutes ago, we find that there's the different flavors of, of government civilians and contractors and uniformed uh, technicians or personnel within this equation. 
And we have to address each one of them differently also in this process of being able to understand how that is aligned because it's not one size fits all. Uh, and absolutely the training aspect of this, as, uh, as Mr. Gray said, you know, it's no longer is the, uh, the, the SOP and the standard working structures are required, but no longer is that the, the preferred method. It's, you know, some type of web-based application, some type of interactive training, computer-based training. Um, it, the hands-on usage of this, as we found, um, is just, it's just critical. Once people get their hands on it, realize they're not going to break anything and the ability to utilize that and just train in that fashion, just creating that test bed to go do that has been hypercritical. And I'll just jump in there a little bit. You know, training is continuous. Uh, and, and in the Marine Corps, we've always looked at that. That's really kind of timeless. Uh, and also evolution uh, of our workforce. Every time we have a, uh, an opening, uh, we reevaluate re the position description and we take a look. There will be a day where we no longer have supply techs. They're going to be inventory managers, inventory managed apprentice, inventory managed uh, experts. That and we're going to use that technology uh, to to get us there. But we're agile enough, we're small enough that every time we have a position that opens up, we can change it and we can uh, modify it. But also training is continuous. All right, I think that's a great point, unfortunately, uh, to, to end on. This has been a, just a tremendous conversation, but we are out of time for today. So first, let me thank my guests. Chad Jones is the Federal Supply Chain Operations Leader for KPMG Federal Advisory Services. Karen Fenstenmacher, an Executive for Strategic Initiatives for the Naval Supply Systems Command. Dan Elzey is the Deputy Commander for the Marine Force Storage Command. And Stephen Gray is the Director of the 448th Supply Chain Management Wing at the Air Force Sustainment Center. Thank you all so much for taking the time today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Modern Government Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion Modern Government Mission Supply Chain, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Selling to the government made easier, thanks to the Coalition for Government Procurement. Federal News Network. Search off the shelf. For 15 years, the federal community of government managers, executives, appointees, and contractors has started its day with me, Tom Temin, host of The Federal Drive, our daily program of the latest headlines and interviews with people behind the news. Your go-to source for information about everything from IT to pay and benefits. Be informed, stay informed. Start your morning with me, Tom Temin, on The Federal Drive. Listen on air on the Federal News Network app and on Spotify. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. WFED Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Washington, W283DG Sterling, WTLP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Portions pre recorded. Federal News Network.